The following is a conversation with the founder of Think Geoenergy, which is the geothermal industry's largest source of industry news. This person is also the director of the International Geothermal Association and overall, one of the geothermal industry's most important voices. The guest on the podcast today is Mr. Alexander Richter. Together in this podcast, Alex and I cover some of the following. His light bulb moment where he discovered the potential of geothermal energy, the promise of geothermal energy and geothermal energy as a source of district heating worldwide, how Germany is turning to geothermal energy in response to the energy independence debates, a bit about Iceland, a bit about EVA, digging more than 15 kilometers deep, whether the current hype for geothermal energy is more frothy than it actually is in reality, and really uh, so much more as well. I think this chat is best consumed in conjunction with some former guests on the pod. Number 87 with Patrick Hansen, number 89 with Magnus Brandberg, number 92 with John Redfern, who is the CEO of the aforementioned EVA, which is a company that we speak directly about in this chat. And then as well, number 94 with the great Carlos Araque, whose company, Quays Energy, we speak about directly. And as well, Carlos was uh, recently a guest on the Guy Raz podcast, How I Built This. So, with no further ado, for another chat on the promise and potential of geothermal energy, here is the wonderful Alexander Richter. Mr. Richter, thank you so much for joining me, mate. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. How does a German go about fitting into the homogeneity of Iceland? Well, I fell in love with a beautiful Icelandic girl and uh, 20 <laughs> years later, I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> so it wasn't because of the um, investment banking you were doing in Iceland that you moved there it was for the classic cliche of love. No, yeah, just s- s- simple as that. And the rest basically is history. So I think, you know, you could probably class me in a similar type of love refugee as you are. I'm a Southern Hemisphere guy living in a Nordic country, and I haven't yet come across an Australian in Sweden or Norway who didn't come here because of a woman. And then the ones that are still here are divorced, but they stay because of the children. So it really is so cliche. There is one reason why people move up to these places that aren't native to it. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's not, not for the weather that I'm here, that's for sure. No, of course not. But uh, 20 years ago, so how's Iceland changed in the time you've been there? Dramatically. I mean, uh, you know, there's been a lot of changes in the country, uh, you know, from uh, from probably 50% more people than when I moved, moved here. Uh, probably 50% more people now than there were 20 years ago, uh, you know, and... A lot of a lot of buildings, uh, a lot of changes uh, in the in how the city looks like. Uh, a lot more tourism, with that all the development around it. Mm-hmm. So way more on offer of what to do, and uh, you know, and also a lot of an expansion on the geothermal side of things. So definitely, that's, that's been definitely quite interesting, and seeing the economic changes as well. You know, from a from a purely fishery country to to banking, and then now. You know, predominantly uh, energy and fishery and um, and tourism. It uh, has seen a lot of changes. Do you think it's a net benefit? The, all the extra people. I mean, overall, of course. I mean, the you know, from uh, from the from the stores, from the food available, from the restaurants. So a lot of positive things have happened. Uh, it's also a lot more diversification. You know, there's there's a lot more foreigners now living in the country, and with that. 
different demands on let's say restaurants and and and, and food and mm-hmm. so yeah so it's, i think it's been positive i was listening in one of your interviews and also scoured through your linkedin and it looks like you got into geothermal through investment banking is that right okay. that's that's right so tell me about that it was i don't know 15 years ago or something so i suppose early days yeah, interesting. That was, uh, I think, in 2005 is when I when I joined uh, one of uh, the the three major banks here in Iceland, or major, the big bigger banks in Iceland, <laughs> in that context. And uh, and it was interesting to see. I mean, the, these banks basically tried to find themselves an international role, despite the challenges of being from such a small country with also a certain limit on on funding available. So it was really interesting. And uh, the other banks and we as well, we focused on on niche markets where we thought we would have the experience and, and, and a possibility to, to, to go into international markets. And uh, our bank focused on, on fisheries, and I was part of the fishery team to start with. So everything from fisheries to, to fish farming, et cetera. Mm. And, uh, and then basically we were tasked to look into renewable energy. Uh, and when we, when we looked into it, I mean, we, we then looked at kind of, okay, what, what can we do? And we ended up in geothermal because that's where we have experience as a country where we have engineers that know and geoscientists that know how to do it. And we thought that this was one of the niche markets to, to go after. And we did that. Uh, and in the two and a half years that we worked on this, we were quite successful. And we made some really interesting inroads in, in the United States and elsewhere. And I think I can say, I think we were the first bank uh, that had a geothermal team, uh, and and that was quite something. And, and it was really exciting to see also the reception that we got in the industry. Like, you know, it was, was a big thing. Like all of a sudden, a bank showing interest in geothermal, and 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 I think everybody thought, okay, now things are going to happen. And we, we we thought really, it's it's going to happen. But uh, of course, then came the financial crisis, and with that, uh, a somewhat different path, at least for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I only know of the fact that there was a financial crisis in Iceland. Could you give a very brief summary about what happened there? It sounds like you lived through it. Yeah, so so basically what happened is I mean we I think the you know I mean Lehman and all these kind of financial challenges at the time kind of also uh, impacted uh, Iceland. So the the financial market was was uh, too too hot essentially, and uh, and a lot of the banks basically took on more. Uh, than they could uh, swallow. So, uh, and in, in our case, basically, you know, we went we went belly up. Uh, you know, Lehman clearly didn't help, and then later on, a couple of weeks later, we uh, we went bankrupt, uh, and um, and and with that also the the dreams of continuing uh, the geothermal business. Um, and I stayed in banking for a short while, and, and but then basically left left the industry and or the geothermal uh, the, the the banking industry that is. Um, and that was quite interesting, but uh, at the same time, we so for for the country it was naturally a big challenge. Uh, so a lot of financing dried up. Uh, there were a lot of bankruptcies, in personal bankruptcies, and it was a difficult time. Mm. Um, but uh, at the same time, for me, it was it was a it was a you know not a blessing in disguise. I would be wrong, but <laughs> but it was basically an opportunity to to once again reinvent myself. Uh, and that's when I founded Think G Energy in December 2008, and uh, with basically just simply the idea of staying in this industry that I start that I learned to love and uh, and be very passionate about, and 
and I thought the industry could need some some media outlet that that covers what's going on in geothermal and yeah and that was basically yeah around 14 years ago and uh, and it basically you know and I'm part of the geothermal industry ever since so you're an investment banker tasked with looking at renewable energy you're in Iceland can you explain the sort of light bulb moment that you experienced when you learned about geothermal and then as well sort of conceptualized the potential of the heat beneath our feet I mean, one of the things that is quite interesting is if you come from, a, let's say, a European country where energy costs are relatively high, you know, the, 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 the monthly cost for your water, your electricity and your heat, uh, you know, it, it, is, it is high and you come to Iceland and all of a sudden it's, it's much cheaper and, uh, and you kind of don't really realize kind of where the energy comes from, um, and, but, it's, but it's obviously much cheaper. So the heat is much cheaper and so on and it's... And it's quite interesting. So you kind of live in a country that is blessed with resources, but you don't really appreciate it. So all of a sudden working in the bank and, and trying to understand a bit more of how we can sell geothermal, you kind of also realize more and more the importance of the people that that had this foresight in Iceland to develop geothermal, to to make this part of, 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 of our of our society and the whole energy market. And you know, and Particular in the in the context of heating, uh, you know, and living in a in a let's say very cold or relatively cold uh, country, made makes having a, a sustainable clean heat resource quite important, and of course an affordable one as well. And but the normal Icelander probably doesn't value that sufficiently and, and understands kind of like what important value that that heat plays. I mean, we all like to go bathing and then. And swimming in, in in the outdoor swimming pools year round, and then we appreciate this, and we we blast the radiators in the house, you know, when we come home for the weekend, and we don't really think about it. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, in this context of today, all of a sudden, yeah, people realize, wow, heat is a very valuable commodity. So, and I and I and I hope that Icelanders would also appreciate this a little bit more, and with that, also the fantastic work done by the geothermalists in the country. But clearly, you know, working on geothermal back then in the bank, you know, in that context of trying to sell geothermal as a as an energy resource for electricity, but also heat, you kind of learn more and more about the importance that and, and, and the potential role that geothermal can play. And with that, you develop a really passion about geothermal. And I mean, you've interviewed a few other geothermalists on your, on your show before. So you probably sense the similar thing is the more people think and work with geothermal, the more passionate they get about it. And I think that's the same is true to me. Well, it, for me, I mean, I'm a total outsider, right? I'm not a geophysicist, nor am I um, part of the financing structure, nor am I an engineer or a miner or any or an oil and gas man or anything like that. So I think that I have a pretty... Um, well, I certainly have a very unsophisticated view on it, but if you take my unsophisticated view, it just seems like this this secret or that is not even hidden, but no one necessarily acknowledges. But the idea that should you dig deep enough, you could provide ubiquitous and functionally infinite um, energy for the entire world um, because of all of the um, geographical advantages which geothermal has over other renewables. Um, and so 
yeah, I guess you're right. The more you look into it, the more sort of excited you get and you start thinking, what the hell? Well, what are the limitations here? And I suppose you'll learn a bit more. But um, you didn't answer my question. When you were an investment banker and you discovered it and you, and you, and you said, oh my God, is this, could this be? Have I, have I come across one of the key variables in the renewable energy mix? Um, what was that like for you? And what, yeah. I mean, what, what was very interesting at the time, so 2006 or something, when renewable energy was, 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 was discussed a lot also in financial circles and, and everything was about wind and solar. Uh, I mean, with the differentiations by the, over the years, but, but wind and solar was, was everything everybody was talking about. And, 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 and you're trying to kind of understand of, 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 of what's holding geothermal back. And, and you understand the challenges of geothermal. You know the, the the drilling, the 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 risk, the resource, and so on, and and and, and still constantly kind of with what what it has to offer, you 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 kind of think there there should be something here, and and I think the the pivotal moment for me essentially was seeing the seeing the people developing geothermal, and the impact geothermal can have, for example, in in nations that. That have more challenges of, of 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 energy sources or sourcing energy. So, for example, if you look at the Caribbean, which you know do a lot of electricity production by by diesel fuel, and going through the the the, the fluctuating oil prices uh, and the the high prices they had to pay in times when the prices are really really high, and the immediate impact that has on people's businesses and 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 and, and household. Uh, uh, finances and 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 I think this is this is the moment where I realized kind of like you know how important it is to have a, a, a local resource, a local energy resource that can have an impact for people directly, and that paired with basically the the economic impact that you can have by utilizing geothermal for power generation and heat and for example for cooling then as well, and. And that kind of like economic value in that summary of things locally and the impact it can have, kind of this was the, the moment when I realized really this is, this is such an utterly important and, and valuable resource that we really need to do. And that's, and that's basically kind of why I'm also today still so incredibly passionate about geothermal is really in summary of what it can provide. Can you double down on that Caribbean example and give the hyper-optimistic case for geothermal energy? Um, if I look, if I look at, at, at the energy market today, it means we need renewable energy you know, very, very much. Um, and we need to decarbonize the energy market. But the energy market essentially is, is not only electricity. It is, in the case of Europe, 50 to, to, in some cases, up to 60% of the energy demand. Uh, and we need any energy source. And I mean, some, some of my geothermal colleagues maybe are, are not too happy to hear it, but we are not the only solution. <laughs> you know, we need, we need any, any renewable energy solution that we can have. And, but in the context, particularly for heat, we can play such an important role. And for electricity, like all these new technologies, like the, the advanced geothermal uh, technologies, you know, going super deep, super critical, closed loop, etc. These are these are technology 
advancements that could also revolutionize what we can offer for electricity. Uh, to what scale, we have to see. But in the context of heat in, in particular, there are very limited renewable energy sources that can have both decarbonize uh, the energy supply, but also su supply secure uh, uh, energy supply locally. And that is where geothermal will shine. And that's why I, I'm absolutely bullish for geothermal in the heating market. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm bullish about geothermal playing a much more important role in electricity as well. Maybe not to that large degree, but it will be an elementary part of electricity going forward as well. Can you give some context to that uh, heating example? Maybe take Reykjavik as a um, archetypal city and how people might be getting heat from geothermal there rather than electricity generated generators, for example. Um, or perhaps take, I don't know, a Bavarian city, um, but uh, as, you, as you please, to give context and a tangible example to the listeners to understand what you just said. I, I would like to take the example of Kenya, for example, uh, because Kenya is, is a very interesting aspect, and in particular African countries. So, for example, Kenya is, is a country that is one of the probably like, uh, economically most developed country in, in, in Africa. Um, and it has... The Silicon Savannah. It, had, it, it has an increasing electricity demand. It has a, still a relatively low electrification rate. Uh, so it has this increasing population, increasing electricity demand, and it has to, to build out its electricity. So what a lot of people don't know is that Kenya is also faced by a lot of challenges by climate change. So a lot of the hydropower uh, capacity of Kenya uh, has been having challenges in providing sufficient electricity to Kenya because of droughts and not sufficient water and the hydropower dams. So that's basically where geothermal came to the rescue. And the foresight of the country to develop geothermal resources and the support by, 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 by various nations in helping Kenya to develop its geothermal resources is, is, has now basically made sure that about 50% of the electricity in Kenya comes from geothermal. A lot of people don't know, but this is, this is an impact that can, it, geothermal can have. 50% is, is, is astounding. It, it, it is indeed. And I mean, like, and people, people forget, yeah, it is, it is in, the, in, the, in the global context. It's only around, uh, the installed capacity is now around 940 megawatts. So this is, this is, in the global context, tiny. But for a country like Kenya, if it produces 50% of the electricity of the whole country, it all of a sudden is playing a really important role. So, and if you then take the example of Iceland and, 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 and for geothermal, is what a lot of people think, okay, Iceland is just is producing basically all of its energy with, with geothermal. And that's not true. So, about 70% of the, of the electricity comes from hydropower. So only about 30%, only, you know, in the context, uh, is by geothermal. And with that, basically, yeah, okay, so geothermal is not the most important part for energy. But that's, but that's then also the interesting aspect is in a country like Iceland, heating plays such an important role that geothermal all of a sudden provides a lot of, uh, uh, or plays a really important role. And in that overall context with transportation, with electricity, so in the whole primary energy supply of Iceland, geothermal provides about two-thirds, if not up to 
because heating plays such an important role. So, and it shows that basically you, it's not necessarily one energy source for, for electricity or, or for heating, but this important role it can play in certain environments. Um, and I mean, even I think El Salvador has about 30% of the electricity coming from geothermal. And there are different, different examples as well. But it shows kind of how locally the role geothermal can play. Uh, and it might not play the, the, the huge global role, but locally that's so important. So, and, and one of the aspects when we, when we talk about geothermal, what we often forget, we always mention Iceland. And this is, this is very nice, in particular for someone being based in Iceland and, and having you know, promoted geothermal with that Icelandic example. It's also a challenge because people think, well, it's very easy in Iceland. You're a volcanic country. <laughs> you know, you have volcanoes popping up, you know, once in a while uh, with flowing lava. So the energy is very visible. I mean, it's very easy. You put the thumb in the ground and you have geothermal. Well, that's that's not the way it is, but that's what people think. And that makes it very difficult to sell geothermal, for example, in, 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 in Europe, for example, because you don't have this, you know, breaking out volcanoes. So... The, the, the challenge really is, is promoting then the role of geothermal. And this is basically where, this is my, 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 my new role that I play since the beginning of this year, is promoting geothermal district heating in Europe. And, and here the point is like, if we're trying to replace coal, we're trying to replace gas, and there are not that many options locally of what you can do. So what you do, you're trying to kind of find geothermal resources that are either uh, that that are deeper or in more shallower depths with lower temperatures that are still sufficiently warm to provide an important source for heating. And and and, and we see this now, particularly in the current environment in Europe, that geothermal is one of the main future sources of heating. How we do this, the techni technological uh, details uh, and specifics that kind of differentiate by or differ by by country, but it is an incredibly important role, particularly for heating. With electricity, we have wind, we have solar, uh, we have biomass, uh, um, and, and, and maybe then in the future also these, these new uh, geothermal technologies. But first and foremost, geothermal for heating is the important role. And that's why in the global context, we will see an absolutely exploding interest in geothermal for heating. Take us to your own country your uh, country of birth the great germany they are currently um sort of famously at the center of the whole energy 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 independence um problem right uh and they also in the south of the country in bavaria have one of uh, europe's largest geothermal uptakes but you're talking about district heating you're talking about electricity generation can you map geothermal onto your own country and talk about what the feasible potential is there? Take off the optimistic glasses just for a second and apply cold, hard Deutsch realism and explain what is the potential in Germany for geothermal? So remember me talking about the Caribbean earlier. You know, that the, the challenge here of being an island, depending on energy resources that you have to import. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the challenges it provides for these nations that maybe are not that financially strong uh, are completely playballs of the markets 
And basically kind of, you know, their energy market kind of depends on these fluctuations. So and put this in the context of Germany at the moment, where, where basically the, 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 the country so strongly put its trust in gas coming from Russia as a source, you know, building pipelines, supplying the, the, the country with, with gas from a, from, a, from, a, from a country where you're de- making yourself depending, dependent on a country. And of course, we could go now politically of why that is, but, but in this context now, maybe that's not important. But the situation as it is today is basically we have a country that is dependent on gas. It has built up uh, its energy market depending on foreign energy resources. So all of a sudden, that picture has completely changed. Uh, and a lot of the discussions about decarbonizing the heat market, etc., the country has basically overslept this basically important preparations of, first of all, becoming energy independent, but also of cleaning up its, its heating market. So and now with the situation in Ukraine and, and, and Russian gas uh, uh, being stopped to, to, to be uh, brought into, into Germany, all of a sudden the whole country and all its different district heating providers are facing the challenge of what are we going to do in this upcoming winter? and for the future. So the targets of decarbonization, net zero by 2040, all of the cities in, in Germany are now facing this huge challenge of what to do, both in the immediate term for the upcoming winter, what do we do if we don't have sufficient gas, and gas that is extremely, extremely more expensive than it, than it was uh, two years ago or a year ago, um, and, and, and what to do, but at the same time trying to prepare for the decarbonization efforts that maybe one hasn't taken too seriously. And what energy sources are there to do that? So people are looking at heat pumps, seawater heat pumps. Uh, there is this, this strong belief in, in, in green hydrogen being the solution, but for that you need a lot of electricity and a lot of water. And both of that is a scarce resource. So you need to kind of figure out a way to utilize the resources that you have within the country. We look at the UK of, of re- allowing again fracking uh, for gas, which is, which is scary to think of. While at the same time, you have a renewable and a sustainable energy source beneath your feet, and that is being geothermal. So there are technical uh, technologies of how you can kind of extract it for, for heating and for power. But for heating, like I said, it's probably the most important aspect at the moment. And it will take time, but geothermal will be playing an important role. And, and I think the utilities have woken up. They're looking at it, but there are going to be challenges on how to do it. And that's, of course, part of why I'm very glad of now having a, a new professional role where I can help and support these utilities to develop geothermal for their heating systems. Expand on the Kenyan example, the Iceland example. Maybe 50% of electricity generation comes from geothermal in Kenya, 30% in Iceland. You're clearly um, banging the the district heating uh, drum quite loudly. But finish off the extremely optimistic potential of geothermal and apply it internationally. Um, Just to round off that before we go bearish. So... um Traditionally, basically, we looked at, at conventional geothermal resources. And with that, basically, mostly the volcanic regions of this world along the tectonic plates, 
you know, the Pacific Ring of Fire, the United States, the whole, uh, the the Americas. Uh, you look at Iceland, you look at the Philippines, Indonesia, Japan, um, New Zealand. Uh, so the classic volcanic areas of this world where basically geothermal can be found at relatively shallower or at least not so deep depths and can be utilized for electricity generation. And we see that there, there in that context, the overall potential is maybe 150 gigawatts. Uh, and that's just for, with conventional technologies. And that is still, we have today around 16,000 megawatts installed capacity, so 16 gigawatts. So that's a tenth of it. So just with conventional resources. <laughs> so there, there is mm. this huge opportunity just by today's technologies. But if you now look at, 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 at new technologies utilizing uh, lower temperature resources for power generation, that expands that market ex, ex, you know, to a large degree. Because we can then basically go to areas, and Germany would be, for example, one of those examples, where you just drill deeper and you kind of find resources. And with uh, power generation technologies that utilizes lower temperatures for power generation, you all of, a, all of a sudden you expand that potential tremendously. And with the new technologies of, let's say, supercritical or closed loop, potentially you could expand that market even further and essentially do geothermal anywhere. So no matter where you are in the world, you just need to drill deep enough and you have geothermal and you can then with, with the right technology produce quite a lot of electricity. And that's why, for example, in the, in the US, there's a group looking at, at developing uh, geothermal close to existing uh, coal, coal power plants, basically where you basically just drill deep enough and then you have sufficient heat to utilize those coal plants. But instead of using coal, you mm. use geothermal. How realistic that is, I, I, I wouldn't be able to, to, to tell, but it's, but it's definitely a very interesting proposition to do that. And with that, it expands, expands the, the, the opportunities quite tremendously. And to go back to the Kenyan example, I mean, there is so much so untapped potential in Kenya that potentially geothermal could pr produce sufficient electricity for the whole country of, of Kenya. You know, even though you would you would expand the the demand uh, dramatically, should it be paired with wind and other sources? Of course, uh, but it would be providing an important energy source, and and in that context, even more importantly, a baseload electricity resource, and that is quite important. Um, and if you take Iceland, um, you know, we have a growing we have a growing electricity demand. It's a little bit political, but. We have a growing electricity demand. So, in particular, if we are wanting to expand uh, to produce uh, uh, e-fuels, so hydrogen or ammoniac or, or, or other sources, we need more electricity. And then the question is basically, how do we produce it? And we could, we could, we have a lot of wind, so windmills would make a lot of sense. But of course, then in a country that kind of depends on a lot of tourism. Do you want to have windmills mm. everywhere? That's a political decision and a, and, a, and a social decision if that's what we want to accept. And it seems like that there is no willingness to build as much wind power as we could just to, to produce electricity. So going back to geothermal, because you need a lot of, land, let, uh, a lot of less land for geothermal development, uh, it's not as visible. <clears throat> geothermal could be an attractive option for expanding the power generation in, in Iceland be it for, for, for normal consumption of industry and, uh, and households or then in the future for producing 
green hydrogen that could then decarbonize the transport sector in Iceland. So geothermal is, is, is attractive and it's, it's a political decision, basically, uh, how, how and if we kind of expand this, but it is an opportunity and we probably will see more development in Iceland. So if the potential of geothermal currently with the technology we have is only being tapped at a fraction and should say Quays, the company you were referring to earlier, or say Eva, who were digging, I think, 15 to 20 kilometers deep in Germany soon, be realized you could potentially meet uh, the majority of, you know, a country or, 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 or even a na- um, continent's energy demands. If the potential is that significant, why is it the case that only a fraction of the current potential is being tapped and that there isn't way more attention being given to the promise of geothermal energy? Well, that's exactly what I've been working on the last uh, 15, 15, 16 years, you know, trying to really figure out a way to change that. Uh, I mean, my attempt in, 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 in creating this news outlet, Think G Energy, that I've been uh, running, is exactly that, to give the geothermal sector a platform that promotes what geothermal has to offer. But we need to do, of course, more. Uh, so the advocacy of, of the sector is, is quite important. And politically, um, like I said, I mean, geothermal has the challenge. It is, it is very difficult to explain. It is a, a subsurface resource. Um, it requires drilling. Uh, it is connected to, you know, the oil drilling rigs, you know, and nobody wants to see this drilling rigs, you know, in the in the in their in their backyard, uh, and that's that makes it a little bit difficult. So, and and you know, the wind blows in your in your face, the sun shines in your face. You can kind of emotionally you can connect to that, conceptualize yeah, you can, can conceptualize. But in the context of 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 geothermal, that's a bit more tricky. I mean, you know, in Iceland, you know, people. You know the geothermal spas and, and baths. You can you can connect with the co- level of comfort, but do you really realize where that energy comes from? Often not. So, it, in that context, it is important to kind of figure out a way of to sell that emotion of geothermal. And we're getting there. We have we have engaged with you know with baseload capital and and, and other friends in the industry. We've we've looked at way of of creating kind of like a a positioning of geothermal in the energy debate and in the energy. Dis- so we're working on a toolbox for that purpose to better promote, to, to unify the message for geothermal. And in that context, you know, politics and politicians play an important role. And I mentioned this, 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 this foresight that some of the politicians in Iceland had, you know, to really, you know, emphasize of the role of geothermal and to to make the investment in drilling wells here in Reykjavik to for the for the for for the purpose of heating um, and that's a that's a long-term view that you need in politicians for the energy markets but as politics has evolved in the last 20 30 40 years it is it is very short-sighted so as a politician it's very difficult to kind of support something that it takes maybe 10 years to develop uh, and that's also been one of the challenges for geothermal. We just take too long to develop. And of course, part of that mm. has to do with permitting and all these things that take a long, long time. But but overall development in geothermal is more complex than, than let's say, to build a, a coal-fired power plant a yeah, or a solar farm. Um, and 
and that that's basically where we need ed- to educate politicians and etc but i believe now basically mm. with the lack of other resources particularly in the heating context that will change um, mm. and and on the technology side with, with the new technologies now on on power generation we believe that we will see a lot of development as well but one thing that i want to mention as well i mentioned earlier that the conventional resources i mean we have so much untapped con- conventional resources still available and we need money to drill those so these new technologies are really are really nice and important but a lot of money is also needed to develop these these let's say untapped conventional resources that are still out there not being tapped to return to germany just quickly um correct me if i'm wrong but i think they on the continent of europe mainland europe they uh they have the biggest uptake existing uptake of geothermal energy and they're now faced with this energy crisis are you seeing in your own country a a switch in the politician's mind or a switch in the finances mind uh towards more investment in geothermal more time allocation absolutely absolutely i mean there's a let's say there's an there's an understanding that that for, for power generation you need relatively high temperatures uh, and for that, you need mm. you know you need to drill quite deep, so development thereof is expensive, and the question is basically how is this competitive to other uh, uh, electricity resources? And that's why in, in Germany, for example, you created these feed-in tariffs uh, through the uh, Renewable Energy uh, Act, uh, and here basically trying to figure out to 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 provide a higher uh, electricity prices. Uh, being paid to developers and, and operators uh, to to help these technologies to become competitive compared to to fossil fuels, and of course now with with with, mm. with higher electricity prices, you know you know these feed-in tariffs might might even be lower than what you what you can uh, achieve on the spot market. But having said that, you know the politicians kind of see that electricity, you know, we have uh, opportunities there. But on the heating market in particular, that's basically where we have to replace coal, we have, we have to replace gas, and you're looking at all kinds of energy sources that are out there. And geothermal all of a sudden is something that people can connect with because it's a local resource. So you can find it mm-hmm. and it's not depending on the weather. It's not depending on, on, on imports. Uh, it, is, it is there to grab. And now basically politicians are kind of trying to figure out a, a quick fix. How can we, how can we make this happen? How can we create, let's say, support or, or subsidies that help kind of utilities and cities to drill for geothermal? So there's a lot of things happening in Germany and elsewhere in Europe for that matter. So it is a it is an utterly exciting time. Mm. How excited and surprised were you when you saw the news that Eva got permission to dig something like 15 kilometers deep in Germany? I mean, it's, it is it is super exciting. I mean, funny enough, is this is a project that was started by Icelanders, uh, and uh, and it and it and it shows a little bit also the challenges of the risk in geothermal. So this project mm. kind of drilled twice unsuccessfully for hot water, uh, and uh, found sufficient heat but not sufficient water, which you need as a as a as a source to to bring the energy to the to the surface, uh, and to see you know a company like Ever and now. You know, being able to attract sufficient funding to 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 you know explore this technology and develop this technology uh, and extract energy through their technology 
is quite exciting. But of course, the challenge then is how do you sell that to local politicians? Something that seems to be experimental and etc. So for them to see that that getting an acceptance and the necessary permits uh, is 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 very interesting and and very important. But it also shows that mm. the tide has turned and that there is more willingness to accept people exploring new technologies if they provide potentially uh, a green energy source. Do you think that would have happened had Germany not had this um, energy independence issue? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But in the case of, of for example, Gerrit Sried, where they're, where they're not going to drill, like I said, I mean, there, there have been two attempts to develop this. And the city or the, the, the local municipality is interested in seeing this succeed. So there was probably a bit more of a long-term view of yeah, the municipality <laughs> that, that kind of made this a positive uh, decision uh, for the project. So there are many things that play together. Um, and yes, you know, the the current environment maybe might have helped to kind of tip it for the last moment. So listeners who listen to Carlos Sarake or John Redfern will already have an understanding of the nonlinear difference between depth and then energy generating potential. But if this is the first time that people have been introduced to geothermal, could you just very briefly summarize how significant it is that EVA is digging to say 15 kilometers of depth versus traditional geothermal that might be just a few kilometers? So traditionally, geothermal is basically you, you, you are drilling for the heat of the earth. So basically what you have to understand that the globe has a hot core and that core of the earth is around 5,000 degrees Celsius hot. And, and, and the question is, depending on where you are in the world, is basically how much of that heat radiates through, this, through the rocks to the surface. And of course, a volcano and, and, and showing the lava flowing up shows you basically some of that heat coming to the surface. But essentially, what we talk in geothermal, you have a temperature gradient. So the deeper you go, the hotter it becomes. And, and, the, and, and basically, drilling uh, uh, deeper is like you always will find geothermal. You might just have to go deep enough for a temperature that you can utilize. Um, and in the traditional sense, basically, we, we drilled 2,000, let's say 3,000 meters uh, targeting temperatures, and we targeted a, a water resource that we can take to the surface. Water basically as a carrier of that heat. And if it's hot enough, it, it came out as steam. And that steam, in the simplest terms of things, was able to turn a turbine and with that create electricity. Or, you know, then with warmer water, uh, with different technologies, then more costly uh, for, for electricity as well, but then lower temperatures than for heat directly with that water. So what these new technologies like Ever and, 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 and Quays, for example, are trying to do is figuring out a way of how we can extract that energy if we don't find and we don't have that water available as a carrier. Um, so this closed loop system is basically a, you know, a piping system that you, that you drill beneath the surface. And for the, uh, you know, for the average Joe, I mean, this is, this is a crazy con con context of understanding that you drill a piping system you know, whatever, five, six or more kilometers below the surface is, is quite, quite remarkable. Um, and, and the idea here is basically creating a, a, a closed loop heat, heat system that extracts the heat of the stones with the fluid that you pump down and extract it. Um, 
how much electricity or heat it will it will be able to produce at cost effective, uh, you know, at a cost effective price and a competitive price will have to be seen. But that's by basically why we have technology development to figure that out. Um, and uh, will it will it will it will it happen? It all depends on the drilling costs and making sure that this this will happen. And we will see. But for that, we need these test projects to see if that's a possibility. But the idea essentially is is is, is figuring out a way of of extracting heat at high enough temperatures that that you can extract to the to the surface and to be utilized for power generation at high temperatures or for heating at, at mm -hmm. then those low, those lower temperatures. And that will be exciting to see how they how they will do it, and if they succeed, it will be a big success. And the other um, hugely optimistic variables to geothermal is that it requires a very very small surface area because all of the heavy lifting happens below the feet and as well the earth's uh the earth's core isn't going cold anytime soon and if it does we're gonna have much bigger problems than just you know our geothermal wells drying up so functionally you have a infinite source of heat which means an infinite source of energy and so if you can tap it adequately you can really set your watch to consistent energy coming out of a well which is something i don't think you can say about anything else except maybe a giant um hydroelectric plant you know the 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 river i mean one of the the arguments that you hear people say yeah but but if you cool the core of the earth i mean put this into context i mean if you if you're taking the globe in its size and you drill two or three kilometers in the, you know, you're scratching just the surface of the earth. Mm. You just, you know, like the, the, the very surface. It's, it's basically taking a needle and, and... Yeah, Carlos said it's the wax on an apple. Yeah, I mean, and if you... And even and even even that is probably even too too much. So, so if you take, it's like this little tiny needle and just poke it in. I mean, how is it supposed to cool? Like, it's just not possible. So... So I'm yeah. not worried. Carlos also said that, and I don't know if this maps onto your research that you've done, what you've heard as well, but already as much as 40 terawatts um, equivalent of energy is escaping from the core of the earth of heat. And to run the planet in a year requires 20 terawatts. Now I know a terawatt isn't a measurement of power. It's more time power. Not exactly sure how it works. But basically he was saying that we would just be capturing something that's seeping away anyway. So we're not actually extracting from any sort of additional energy source. That's that, 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 that's right. And, and, and it's okay. just a way of how to, how to tap it. So I don't know if this is just my own echo chamber, you know, because I'm following you think Energy, ever quaze, you know, baseload capital, etc. And so I feel like all I see on LinkedIn is, optimism in the geothermal space they're calling it the geothermal decade you're someone who's been involved in this industry for 15 17 years um is is geothermal particularly frothy at the moment do you think it's a sustainable amount of energy that people are giving towards it um or truly have we turned a corner and geothermal is now really getting the juice that maybe it's deserved for a long time geothermal basically has seen its ups and downs uh, and the first, and I think the interesting part, the first spur of development, the large-scale development that happened in the United States, for example, and, and elsewhere in the world, happened around the oil crisis. 
And here, basically, the driver was is like, okay, oil became more expensive or not accessible. Uh, that's why geothermal all of a sudden was an attractive local or national resource. So, and of course, we've seen oil prices go up and down. And every time the the oil price went down, the the oil companies all of a sudden looked at ways of, you know, creating business in in an industry that is closely tied in and taps to the same type of uh, know how and and experience and technology. That's why geothermal was very attractive. I think Marcus Brandberg at one at one of the his events that uh, said this one time so well. Geothermal provides the oil and gas sector a purpose, uh, and I and I thought this was it was stick and it was really really interesting the way he said it. But but I think the importance here and the the, the difference that we see now is essentially is that people understand and the and the and the oil industry understands that it needs to to figure out a way to focus more on green technologies. And the geothermal sector is in that far very, very attractive because it uses the same experience, technology, and, uh, and, and, and know-how, uh, and equipment as well. So, and that's why, you know, geothermal is, is, is quite interesting and attractive, uh, not only because it provides a potential business, but also because it, it helps basically, uh, uh, you know, help in decarbonizing our energy market. So, and in that context, I think is, and this is very important, is that what we have to understand in the, in the debate about the energy transition is that it's not essentially about, you know, cutting down the whole oil industry and, 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 and cutting this all down, but understanding that we need geoscience, we need geophysics, we need people with drilling know-how uh, and mining know-how you know, and we need those also for the energy transition because they play an important role. Uh, and that's why I think this makes it so so interesting at the moment is like we see geothermal, we see, uh, you know, geothermal heat pumps, we see, so the shallow ground source heat pumps, we see energy storage, all kinds of things that, that where I see an increasingly change in the, in, the, in the geothermal industry as well, where we're becoming more a geo-energy industry, where we mix different technologies. We're utilizing heat pumps to pump lower temperature geothermal resources up to temperatures that we need for the heating uh, systems of this world. We see geothermal as an understanding, that as, as a concept also for energy storage, heat as a possibility to store energy uh, in salt caverns and, and elsewhere, in aquifers, etc. We see geothermal as an opportunity to, 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 to be utilized for cooling when you turn this whole, whole thing around. So we're seeing that, that increasing mix of these different technology and essentially this, this changes our industry from a, from a purely thermal-based industry to a more geoenergy industry. And I think this is, and this is for the first time that we see that, that borders between these different compartmentalized energy resources increasingly disappearing and making this so interesting and that paired with mm. with that need of decarbonizing heat decarbonizing electricity basically for a net zero future and the attractiveness of having this natural and sustainable energy source beneath our feet makes this geothermal so interesting and essentially the geothermal decade that we talk about because we this interest is there we see that investment mm. happening, 
And we see that investors increasingly looking for ways of investing into something that makes sense locally, sustainably, and green. It really does have the most compelling value proposition. Um, is it just a question of good PR and good marketing that more people become aware of it? I mean, one of the things we as an industry failed is to take sufficient money in our hands for marketing and promotion of our industry. So mm. we've, we as an industry have been very bootstrapped for a way too long time. So we never, we never had resources. At the same time, we also like, I mean, if, I don't know if you, I, I don't know how much percentage different industry spent on marketing as part of their overall budgets. And I think we, we as an industry need to get there as well. If, if mm. we are, if we are becoming a critical mass in the discussions about renewables and promote ourselves efficiently, then basically we will get the visibility that, that we surely deserve. But we need to also invest in that part as well. And that is also a change now that we see is that there are people coming into the industry that understand that, you know, be it Quase, be it Ever, be it uh, Baseload Capital, these are all of all of these are all of a sudden we have companies that understand the need of marketing hmm. and understanding that we need to promote this this incredibly important category of energy and sustainable energy, uh, and not only promote themselves but also the industry that they work in, and this as an energy source. And this is this will change the the, the game. Hmm. I, I really think Quays is absolutely nailing it with the content that they put out. I don't know if you saw the video that came out either today or yesterday explaining their drilling technology. Um, it, it, it's so well produced. It's the type of content that has a touch of virality to it, but at least an educational component. Carlos is also doing you know, as many podcasts as he can. I saw him on you know, How I Built This with Guy Raz and stuff like that. So you are seeing really good signals, but again, I wanna tamper the optimism and question, am I just seeing all of this because I'm in this, you know, particular geothermal bubble um, versus what does the real world see? Um, but it just occurs to me that you would actually have a particularly unique view on whether it is uh, frothy excitement, whether there is true interest, because as the owner of the largest blog and news source of geothermal, simply running your analytics and looking at page views and looking at where they're going, you would actually have the single best insight into this. I mean, I would love to show you my, my, my Google Analytics uh, data just to show you how this has evolved over the years. But I mean, the last particular, and I mean, we've, we've seen this, 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 this increasing interest in geothermal since 2015. And, and from that point, really kind of we saw this, you know, slowly, slowly increase. And of course, there are technical issues with the website, etc. But but then basically we see that that in 2019 to 2020, we saw this huge jump of 20, 30% of readers of the website. Then again, 2021, it was like another uh, 40%. And, and, and now 2022, it kind of like it plateaus a little bit. Uh, but but still, we've like I would say that we've more than tripled our, our readers in the last three years. Uh, and and that is that is quite quite important I and mean, we see also social media that's very tangible yeah. insight too. And, and we see this 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 increasing interest of, of a more varied groups of, of people i mean the, the the countries that visit our website are way more diverse than they used to be 
it's still dominated by the, the the main countries, and essentially you can take the top ten countries into your thermal, and, and at least six of them are in the top ten of of our readers as well. But but also the UK and others kind of like you know come in and, and, and other countries, and and that is very exciting to see. It's not just the the the, the usual suspects. It's it's more and it's broader. Mm. So so I think in twenty twenty one we had yeah about two hundred countries visiting the website, and of of those maybe maybe a hundred that are kind of regular readers of, of Think Energy. And that's, and that is a very global and beyond the number of countries that currently utilize geothermal energy. And so the reach is there, the interest is there. And, and I believe it's also a sustainable uh, and, 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 and continuous uh, interest in geothermal. And, and I think this is, this is important. Speaking of promotion, um, I'm listening to the prize at the moment by Daniel Jurgen. Um, you know, and obviously the the oil industry has way more drama and international intrigue to lean back on because they were the backbone of civilization. Well, are still the backbone of civilization. Um, but I wonder whether there is a the prize equivalent to be written in geothermal. Um, as well, you're uniquely positioned to sort of think about that. So whether it's me thinking of a great opportunity or whether it's you thinking of a great opportunity, you know, could there be a good sort of narrative um, journalistic style book that could promote geothermal energy sufficiently? You know, because I, when I was... When I, when I initially became aware of geothermals because of uh, Robert Friedland, the CEO of Ivanhoe Mines, he's a big geothermal advocate and he's also a very, very good communicator. So he had this, this very romantic sales pitch for why geothermal energy is the future. Um, and I sort of got into it and I realized there was really not much content outside of Think Geoenergy and then I sort of, but it came back and... You look at books, there's maybe two or three textbooks yeah. <laughs> available if you want to learn anything about geothermal. Whereas there is so much sort of geopolitical intrigue that one could write about geothermal. Um, anyway, so I'm kind of waffling on a little bit now, but I, I think you get the crux of yeah, my question. So I th and, I, and I think that is exactly the point why I found to think geoenergy. You know, when we when we worked in the bank, you know, we, we looked at kind of what media is out there, what what events are out there, kind of what is written about geothermal. And the interesting part, it was all very, very technical. It was talking about problems. It was talking about casing. It was talking about drilling. It was it was talking about power generation, about steam quality. So all very technical, all very valid, all very interesting, but never in layman's terms, basically what geothermal has to offer. And at the same time, uh, you know, it was also not covering business aspects or financial aspects or policy aspects or promotional aspects. So what I, what I thought, like from my, let's say, I'm a, I'm a lawyer by profession, so I, you know, with no technical or geoscience background, um, I thought kind of you need, you need some kind of platform that, that translates that geothermal and filters out to make this kind of more attractive to people that want to get a general understanding of the business opportunities in geothermal about the financial aspects, policy, et cetera, and also some kind of insights into technical aspects, but not those that are going in so much depth that it bores them to death. And that's, 
And that yeah, exactly. is basically why I thought, okay, this kind of like a news aggregation platform that that collects things, that filters things, that puts our own content, that that adds some research to it, kind of is something that that would help promote geothermal. And that's why I founded this blog. It became then a news website, but but basically it was it was a blog to start with to 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 find news and 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 collect these things and put this together. But it's done naturally through my my glasses or through my glasses. Uh, it's like my view of filtering and understanding what could be important. And and I think the readership that we have we've been able to 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 put put together is confirming that kind of that 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 is something that people want to read. And I mean, it makes it into Google algorithms, and that's positive and all of that. Uh, and mm-hmm. but with that, I'm very proud basically to have created a platform that kind of is visible on Geo- like on Google, on on the internet and, and provides some kind of understanding that things are happening because we as an industry have not also not been very good about talking about what we're doing, the positive aspects of things. And we talk, always talk about the negative things or the challenging things or the, the things that we need. But instead of kind of talking about we provide this, this is an opportunity, it could do this, or explain this examples. And when we have a fantastic number of projects and examples that, that I've been talking a lot about on Think Generative, be in Alaska or in, in Hungary and, and elsewhere, where these exciting examples of what geothermal can do. And we need to talk about those. Mm. And that's what we need to do. And then pair this with, with the right tools, the right imagery, uh, the right social media cards, uh, and the fantastic videos just like Craze, Tudu, or, or Ever, or others. Mm. Uh, this is what we need to do. And of course, you know, I, I've tried to do this on a bootstrap budget and for many years basically hardly living on this. Um, it's been tough. But I also understand or understood the whole time that we need, as an industry, we need to be better in the way we present ourselves. We need better design. We need a design sense. We need to be, we need to be on par with the oil and gas sector in the way we, we, we present ourselves. And that's, for example, when... In, in, in 2012, 2013, I, I thought like, well, wait a second, all the publications that are out there doing geothermal, they're horrible to look at. They're very valid and very, very important, but but they're not they're not speaking to people. And that's when I created a magazine. Mm. And and I thought it was a fantastic magazine. It was flashy, it was content, nice pictures. It was promoting specific countries. We started with New Zealand, did, uh, did, did Iceland then as a second one, but it was way too much work. I mean, we broke even on it, but the work and the effort needed it was just too much. But I thought it was a fantastic tool, and I mean, and I still think it would be valid and to utilize to do it. We then did a newspaper that we that we distributed at conferences because I I still believe in print, uh, despite you know being a, being an online uh, media platform, and <laughs> and these are things that I thought kind of are important and if. If we can do this and, and distribute, and I mean, if some of your listeners want to support me on that or, or figure out a way of, of of helping to produce something like this, I'd be more than willing to share the the template and 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 the layout that we did and explain how we did this. I would love to see this kind of being done again and being on par with with other publications out there, and because this is so important that we present ourselves in a similar fashion like others, on the same level of quality. Mm and style and with that we are being taken taken more serious than we are currently well what do you think about a specific 
the prize style book or narrative because like you said you can do these country specific profiles you can tie back geothermal all the way um, back to the italians and i even to a sense the romans you can separate it from these geysers and these volcanoes and you can present it as potentially you know the energy solution there is a lot of it's a bit of embellishment but at the same time the sort of romantic salesmanship underneath it all that could create a very compelling narrative which uh as you just explained is very necessary for the industry you know and you tie that into good seo good good design i mean you you know i mean there are so it is a bit unfair to say that there are not enough good books about geothermal there are some very good books textbooks uh that that have been created that 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 tell very good stories it's just that there are too few, uh, and they are and they are not basically created to sell geothermal. They're more about informing about geothermal, and we all know that basically with news pieces, people don't read texts that are longer than four hundred words. Uh, you need you need, you know, we're talking about things going viral or having pictures that that sell, etc. These are things, and that's why I think in the geothermal world. We see so many pictures from Iceland. I mean, the Blue Lagoon, you know, is, is everybody on everybody's mm. mind when they think about geothermal, and that's great. But we have we have a lagoon in Kenya. We have uh, you know geothermal spas in Germany that are from Roman that go back to Roman times. We have the city of Bath in England. You know, I mean, there are all these these examples that we can utilize to talk and promote geothermal. But the way mm. we do it and the way we present it. That is that is a challenge, and we need to become better. And that's part of what the toolbox that I talked about earlier is kind of collecting those things and, and make this make this make this available, so that it's basically available to everyone that wants to kind of promote geothermal, so they have the tools and the pictures available to do that. I mean, one of the examples, for example, is that when I started doing Think Geo or even working in geothermal, I realized that there are not enough good pictures of geothermal. I mean, there are all these fantastic, beautiful pictures from Icelandic geothermal plants, but when you're writing a piece about North American or US development, you want to use a picture from the United States. Uh, same with Turkey. I mean, Turkey is now one of, one of the top 10 countries in geothermal. Um, and a lot of news pieces in Turkey use pictures of Icelandic plants. And I'm like, come on, you have your own plants. So use pictures and good pictures from, from, from the plants in your country. So, and that's why, number one, we as an industry need to become better kind of creating this imagery that we need to create good pictures, but then also make it available for people to use. And one of the reasons, one, one of the things that I did, because I couldn't find these pictures, so I could, started collecting the pictures and every plant that I went, I took pictures and I'm, I'm not a photographer. These are not super sexy pictures. Um, and I nearly crashed my drone in, in, in Chile in 4,500 meters because I wanted to take some drone image, imagery. <laughs> but all these pictures I, I took that I think are useful, I posted them on a, on a publicly available platform called Flickr, flickr.com slash thinkgenergy. All these pictures there are available on a Creative Commons license. So feel free to use them. Uh, and they provide some really good pictures uh, uh, that people can use. So, and this is, this was one simple approach of trying to kind of make some pictures available. And I, and I encourage people like, like Ever, like, uh, like Quays, the Ormats of this world, uh, and others 
to share their pictures and make them available for free so people can use them in their efforts to promote geothermal. And I think it's very important. And we have beautiful pictures. It doesn't need to be the drilling rig that maybe is challenging to promote for drilling within cities. But we have beautiful geothermal plants that we can utilize for promotion. And that's what we need to do more of. So you've mentioned directly Quays and Eva, as have I. Could you talk just directly how you see the most exciting companies in the geothermal space? I think one probably one of the most exciting companies over the years, you know, has been Ormat. Uh, and Ormat is, is one of the largest uh, operators in the world today. Uh, it is a company that, that that has been selling turbines, and and is interesting enough, you know, a very interesting business model. So from a from a from a supplier of turbines, it became basically an energy developer, and as part of as part of their efforts to develop uh, their te- their technologies, uh, you know, as a supplier, they realized that the market is not big enough for all the turbines they wanted to sell. So they started promoting geothermal, and basically helped with that helping the market to grow that they're trying to sell into. And then they realized, okay, they don't have enough customers, so they started drilling on their own, and then developing projects. And now today, I think their their product segment is about thirty percent, forty percent of their of their of their revenues and all the rest is energy production. So it's a very exciting company that basically from a technology perspective, uh, you know, was interesting, but more importantly, it created a business model on developing geothermal and doing everything in-house. That's an an interesting model. So the geothermal industry has a number of very exciting companies. This is one that I thought like both from 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 a power generation technology but also then the business model. Uh, some others are like like Ever with, with closed loop, Craze with super critical, very deep technologies. You have uh, other players that are, are taking a more traditional approach and conventional uh, geothermal. You have uh, an interesting company that started to develop geothermal heat projects in Hungary. Um, there are a large number of companies that are doing very, very exciting things. And all of them have their merits and their and their and their and their uh, and their support and, and, and investment, um, but there are so many smaller companies that are trying really good things. You have companies in the in the in the geothermal heat pump side of things that are trying to d- develop new twilling technology, so you can utilize uh, uh, or you can develop kind of these ground source heat pump systems in in urban areas where it's more difficult to drill with traditionally. Wells, you have uh, companies that provide heat exchange systems that are drilling uh, to two thousand meters and still utilize it for energy production. You have companies that are doing uh, uh, heat storage systems. Super, super exciting companies. Um, and and I think the the, the pivot event uh, you know in Houston every year now that takes a very much technology approach of things. It's it's very exciting, and I think it's very important that we have these technology development. But we also need kind of the business models that help develop geothermal. Technology is one thing, but we also need to provide a business model that is attractive for investors to also finance the development of geothermal. Because at the end of the day, we need money to drill. Mm. It's as simple as that. So it will be a mix. And that's why I think the, the interesting things will be technologies paired with business model uh, and funding. 
Is it just the case that uh, the geothermal industry is still trying to prove that maybe supercritical depth or that extremely uh, sexy business case by, say, yeah, successfully digging a 15 kilometer well and then extracting enough energy to generate electricity. And that should you once get over that hump, the financing issue will become significantly less of a problem because people will be able to see uh, a proven case or is it a little bit more complicated than that? I mean, I think like 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 I tried to explain earlier, I think that the, the, the challenge in geothermal so far has been is that you're, that you're, drilling, for, uh, you're drilling for heat and water as a as a as a as a medium to bring that heat to the surface, uh, and the risk, basically here, of finding sufficient heat and finding sufficient water uh, mm. to 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 extract that energy to the surface, has been the main risk, the resource risk, exploration risk, or mining risk, whatever you call it, that's been the big challenge for investors to invest because the capital cost of drilling is so expensive. Uh, and that's why, for example, like the supercritical or the closed loop systems approach is speaking to a lot of the, the drilling and then the and the and the oil companies because it takes away that risk. If you are, if you're able to drill to whatever depth or in whatever form in a closed loop single well or whatever system, and you can basically take away that risk because you just need to drill, and then basically it, you have that cost. That's it, but with that, but but with that cost, you can create something, and then it's a, it's a matter of the economics mm. of making it happen towards the energy price, and that makes it quite attractive. The challenge for geothermal has been that risk element, uh, and 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 the understanding of, of of that for investors has been the challenging thing. So that's why let's say these these new advanced geothermal systems are so attractive is that they're taking away the risk. Yes, they are more expensive. But it's more in a traditional technology play that you at some point maybe mm. can decrease that cost to a level where it becomes a competitive energy source. And that's why people are willing to invest yep. in that. Uh, and, that's, and that's fantastic. But will it be fast enough to provide competitive electricity at the prices that, that we need will have to be seen. <laughs> okay. Well, look, Mr. Richter, you've been so generous with your time. I just have uh, two more questions that I try to ask every guest if possible. But before I do that, I'd like to hear you just quickly talk about uh, Angel Ignite because uh, it had quite an interesting tagline that it was encouraging Nordic countries to do what they do best or uh, to lean into what they have a specific competitive advantage over the rest of the world on. So... Talk to me about this company and, you know, what, what, what do the Nordics have as a particular advantage over other countries that you're thinking of? I think from a, from a, from a startup perspective, I mean, okay, so I think particularly Iceland, uh, you know, and, I mean, Norway as well, this, this, this fishing nation, you know, a country that has been depending on a, on a natural resource here, fish, uh, to feed basically and to, to live off the ocean with the challenges that with bad weather you can't go out. So then you don't have something to eat. So and and if you have good times you, you live you live your fullest. But if you but if you but if you don't you bootstrap you know yourself to so so you're living basically in that moment and that creates some kind of really interesting um, uh, interesting uh, aspects with regards to entrepreneurship and, and innovation. 
So, I mean, you know, in Iceland, the Vikings have been using uh, a fish skin, for example, for, for clothing and, uh, and, and, and so on. So there's all kinds of things of what you do that utilize the fish to the fullest degree. I'm glad that went out of fashion. Yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but fair enough. But out of that came a lot of kind of entrepreneurship, you know, that you always, you had to figure out a way of living with what you had. Uh, and I think that that has been translated a lot in the in the in, in the in the in the in the 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 in the psyche of psyche. how people how people evolve, and that that has made this quite quite entrepreneurial. And I think that's what we see in, in Nordic at Night is basically the the approach of of of, of, of figuring out a way of, of funding these very very early stages of startups, uh, because here the the importance is that. A lot of startup funding uh, is, is is happening at later stages, and in this angel investment, you don't have that much of that available. And the the idea here of, of, of this particular concept was to provide also an opportunity of the of, of normal people like you and me that that are maybe not having not that much money to be part of let's say the bigger rounds or the venture capital uh, firms or whatever. But, but basically providing funding at these very earlier stages and giving you smaller developers, uh, sorry, smaller investors also the opportunities to be part of that uh, and, and, and create yeah. opportunities for, for people with their entrepreneurial ideas. Um, what, finally, the last two questions, Mr. Richter. What is a country that you're particularly bullish on? With regards to geothermal or, or anything? As you will. I think I'm very I'm very bullish of Europe uh, and Europe as a whole. Uh, I am I'm a European at heart. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a I'm a big believer in the European idea and the importance of this European idea of uh, collaboration, of peace, and that uh, that 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 overall uh, connection with each other. Uh, I think it was. The right thing to do. It was important after the Second World War to kind of bring these nations together, uh, and I think that's why, you know, if you ask me for one country, like I am very bullish about Europe and the European idea. There will Germany will play a important part in that, and it it faces tremendous challenges at the moment due to the current crisis. But we, as a, as a, as a, as Europe, will come out much much stronger out of it. It will this will be difficult. Uh, one year, two years, maybe even longer. But at the end of the day, the values of Europe that have been created after the Second World War of bringing these nations together is, is, is a tremendously important part also in, in, you know, with regards to democracy, uh, the, 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 the a, current, a common currency, uh, a common uh, market, etc. And with that, we will... We provide such an incredible source of inspiration, innovation, and technology that I think will make Europe and the European Union a very important uh, player and a very and I'm very bullish about what Europe can achieve. It will not happen in the next year, but going forward. Here, here, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, although I guess I'm a, an adopted European since uh, I'm from Australia. Is uh, Iceland in the European Union? No, it is not. But it's um, just Schengen. It is. 
it is it is part of the uh, European economic area mm. and with that part of the common market of, of Europe but it's not part of the political union uh, but it's part of the of the European free trade agreement the European economic area yeah uh, and with that basically it gets all the benefits of the EU without having a political say Yes, <laughs> exactly. So similar job to say Norway and Switzerland, where they just have a much higher import that's tax on stuff, but there's still freedom of movement. Yeah, that's correct. Um, finally, Mr. Richter, a conversation between any two people of history, dead or alive, no language barrier, two people you would love to say, listen, a podcast to. I think I mean that that might be a little bit controversial, but I would, I would, utterly love to see a discussion between between Elon Musk, and Al Gore. Okay. And, and you might and you and you might laugh, but, but I have to say, you know, whatever peop, view people have about Al Gore and history, etc. But I, when, when Bill Clinton was running for president, uh, in in was it in in ninety two. Or ninety one, ninety two. Uh, his vice presidential candidate was was then Al Gore, and then of course vice president. And what pe- what a lot of people don't know is that Al Gore back then had written a book about sustainability. Uh, and 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 really talked how important sustainability is in the context of a clean energy or a clean future. And. And I have to say that this is something that stuck with me. I read this book back then when I was in high school, and I found this so utterly inspiring. Uh, so people are critical about Al Gore, you know, about about all the things that he did, and but he has been pushing this from an early age, and he's been he's been absolutely crucial also in the Kyoto Agreement back in the days, etc. So he played an important role. So I would really love him. With all that he's done, like and 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 promoted for all his years, and then pair this with some, with someone that is so incredibly innovative and crazy and 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 all of that, and 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 them talking about sustainability and technology and investment, and to see what comes out of it. Of course, I hope that that part of that will will be figuring out the the breakthrough idea about geothermal, uh, but overall, the kind of how can we combine sustainability with business and technology for a future for us for a clean and sustainable planet i think Mm. that would be very very interesting that would be an unbelievable conversation and uh, i i've often thought that elon musk would be sort of a dream guy to if you could sit him down and you could really pitch him uh, you get the sense that he's the type who would you know sort of do more than just nod. He'd be like, all right, fine. You know, I'll call a few guys, you know, cause he's got an impossibly good network and actually make things happen. Um, you know, imagine if uh, maybe it's you one day you get a chance when geothermal, the, the platform and the, the profile is big enough. You get to really hit Musk hard and get him on board and who knows he's already digging tunnels. So I don't know. Yeah. The boring company could be, yeah. could be an interesting, Interesting aspect for no, I mean a lot of people have talked about this, you know, with with getting him in, into geothermal or ha- having him taken a look at it, basically. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know, uh, but uh, but but of course, you know, any inspirational leader would be would be important, and uh, and I think you know any publicity we can get and any someone that comes on with a creative new look at geothermal, I mean, 
I, I don't know what's, what's, what's the best for geothermal. And a lot of my colleagues don't know either. Do we all try our utmost? Absolutely, we do. Uh, and we should continue doing that. But we need to be inspired by others. We need to look at other industries uh, where we can take inspiration, be it in marketing, be it in finance, etc. And a lot of that we see now trickling into geothermal. Mm. I think this is, this is why things are now happening. Well, Mr. Richter, thank you so much for giving me your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Ryan. And, uh, and, and uh, thanks for, 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 for being so curious about geothermal. We need more, more, more of you. Yeah, man, my like pleasure. That.